3 this morning, Matthew chapter 3. Glad you can make it out with us on the first Sunday of 2016. Let's do the smart thing, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to dig into this, we just pray as always you would teach, we would listen. Let your spirit guide and direct. And we just really pray, Lord, that you would be in this place and give us ears to hear what you're saying. And Lord, give us a heart open to what you're trying to lead us to do. Thank you for this time of worship, fellowship, and the word in your name. Amen. Hey, if you weren't with us last week, we have some of these sheets on the back. I just want to encourage you real quick. Uh, We talked about kind of what the vision is looking for out here in 2016. And the verse the Lord really laid on our heart is, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. But truly seeking the Lord first. Not us, not what we think, not what we want, but what does the Lord want for us? Now, that's a pretty ambiguous prayer. So what we've done here is for the next 40 days, we're going to spend some time in prayer and fasting, different topics here. Uh, For this last week, we were talking about having a heart for the lost, prayer, God's word, your calling in the Lord, closer relationship with the Lord and service. I encourage you, take one of these sheets home. Make this part of your uh, devotional time during the week. Pray over these scriptures. Just read them and just let the Lord speak to your heart through that word. So often people come up and they say something. I want to do something. I want something to be different. I know there's more. But what is it? You know what? Let's spend 40 days praying and seeking the Lord as individuals on what that is for you as an individual. But also for us as a church. Because the whole point is to proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So let's seek him as individuals, but also seek him as a body of Christ over these next 40 days. Come back in February and see what the Lord has laid on our heart. All these different topics here, just take the scriptures, pray over them, and just really spend these next six weeks saying, Lord, I want to focus on you, seek you first, and then whatever he's called you to do. Let's see what happens here in 40 days. So a lot of planting, a lot of watering over these next few weeks, and then see what the fruit happens here in the next 40 days. I encourage you to grab one of those sheets back there and just pray with us as individuals and also as a body of Christ. So Matthew chapter 3, continuing our study here through the book of Matthew. We left off last week in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and both the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Boy, there's a lot of information in there in those short little verses about understanding what baptism is. You have an appearance of the Trinity. With God the Father speaking from heaven, you have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. You have the Son of God there, Jesus. But really, as we go through this, what does this mean for us? Why did Jesus go through this, and how do we apply it to our lives? And those are the three things we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing is, why did Jesus get baptized? second point, then, is how does this baptism apply to us? And the third one is, how do we apply this to what we're doing? It's one thing to mark these verses, know these verses, understand these verses... How does it really apply to us as we're doing this? So let's just talk about baptism here for a second. You know, depending on how you guys are raised, may have different opinions on baptism. I love baptism. It's one of our favorite services that we do out here. I love the pure simplicity of it. Just how we come and what it means and what it represents. About how us as sinners can identify with Christ through baptism. Now, please make this point especially clear. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For as by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's make this point clear, and I'll make it numerous times this morning. Baptism is not salvation. 
Salvation is Jesus Christ and Christ alone through what he did on the cross. Because we are saved in Christ, one of our responses to that is baptism, which we'll get into that later. But let's make sure we understand what salvation is through Christ, and baptism is not that. But baptism was so looked upon in the Bible that a lot of times when you see somebody got saved, they immediately got baptized. They were so excited about that. There was such a passion for that because it helped them identify with Christ. Now, that is a little bit of an understanding from our perspective, but why would Jesus have to go through this? Look at this phrase, verse 15. Permit it to be so now, for thus is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Well, Jesus doesn't need to do anything to make himself righteous. The guy's sinless. 2 Corinthians makes it clear, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So Jesus is obviously not getting baptized, becomes some type of sin issue. So why would he be going through this? Well, I think the first response of why he goes through this is love. Let's build on this. Can you go with me to Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2. Let's talk about why Jesus would want to love us. Here in Hebrews chapter 2, I think you get a small picture of part of the reason why Christ went through baptism. Hebrews chapter 2, it says this. We're going to go ahead and pick it up here in verse 17 of Hebrews 2. Therefore, in all things, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, which is a fancy word for appeasement, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Okay, if you're a note taker, please note in verse 17 that phrase, high priest. Remember that word priest. We're going to come back to that. Why would Jesus go through this? Well, he wanted to be like us. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. Jesus, who is man, but also God, came down and walked on this earth, lived on this earth, and lived a life like we live a life so that way he can relate to us and we can relate to him. But he did it without sin. So remember that the next time you get bitter or angry when somebody does something to you. Remember the next time you're jealous or you're battling greed or that. Jesus had those same temptations but defeated them and walked sinlessly. He became all things like us. So why would Jesus get baptized? To identify with us. It's love. He wanted to be like us in all things. And so therefore he went through that to be like us. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't sound like that. that's that big a deal. He exchanged the glory of heaven to come live with sinful man. We don't think we're that big of a deal to be around. Even if somebody comes from a different social or economical status, we can relate. Maybe we're both dads, they're both moms, you both have kids. There's something that you can relate to because we're part of this human race. Jesus set aside the glories of heaven to fully understand man to be the sacrifice for our sins. We'll never fully grasp that because when we look in the mirror, we don't think we're all that disgusting. Compare it to the perfection of God. See, and he builds on this. Keep your part here in Hebrews and just jump ahead to Hebrews 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, there's our word again, who has passed through the heavens, came down from heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's our phrase, high priest again. And look at verse 15. He cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now listen, you're going to go through a tough time. And as you go through a tough time, you're going to look for a shoulder to cry on. You're going to look for somebody to understand. 
You're going to go to a best friend. You're going to go to a spouse. You may go to a brother or sister. You name it. And as you try to talk to them, they may get it, but they're not going to get it completely. No one can ever fully understand the other person's pain. We can never fully get it. So what happens then is we open up our heart to this person and we lay everything bare. They don't get it. We walk away what? More frustrated. They don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. I can come home and try to explain to my wife, this is what happened today and it was really difficult, but she didn't experience it. She can try to say, well, this is what was hard with the kids today, but I wasn't there. I can relate, but I fully don't get it. Jesus fully gets it. He fully understands. You have a high priest that was made like his brethren. You have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. You have a Messiah that cares. And we need to realize that's who we need to go to. It's not that the body of Christ can't help and encourage. We are here to edify. We're here to help. We're here to encourage. But ultimately, there is only one individual that will fully grasp and understand what you're going through, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why we always want to point people towards Jesus. My words may bring a temporary help, a temporary healing, but it's just that. It's temporary. Christ is the one that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So therefore, when I look at Jesus' baptism, I see love. He chose to identify with us. He chose to identify with us in all ways and all things. Once again, from a human perspective, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. Look at it from God's perspective, trading the glories of heaven to come down with us. It's kind of amazing. Now, what else do we see in his baptism? Well, second, this is a great start to ministry, isn't it? I mean, you're getting baptized just like anybody else, but not everybody else had the Holy Spirit come down in the form of a dove. Not everybody else had the heavens open up. I've done lots of baptisms over the last 16 years. And never once has the heaven opened up and said, this is my son. Never once has a bird landed on somebody. This is something special. This is a great start to ministry. And if you look in the Bible, there's three times that God spoke through heaven to speak of his son. And they all pointed people to Jesus. Because God's saying, the focus is him. What a great way to start your public ministry. And the last point of why Jesus went and got baptized is it fulfills all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? This is kind of interesting for your note taker. You can write it down. Exodus 30, for you to be a priest, you had to be anointed. And for you to be a priest, you had to be anointed, Exodus 30. You got anointed at 30 years of age, according to Numbers chapter 4. We know from Luke 3, how old was Jesus when he began his ministry? 30. This is his way of beginning ministry. He is anointed now. Through the Holy Spirit there with the dove. That's that picture of that anointing happening. He is a priest. We already read that twice in Hebrews. So it's time for him to be anointed. It happens at age 30. Luke 3 says he was age 30 when all this happened. Guess what? It all comes together now. This is the beginning of his ministry to the world. So if he's anointed to do this, what's his anointing? Let's talk about that. Go with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Comes right out and tells us what his ministry is. It always bugs me when people misrepresent God. 
And it always bugs me when somebody comes to a conclusion of who they think God or Jesus is based on what the world has taught them or said to them, and they don't stop and say, what does the Bible say the ministry of Jesus was? Here in Isaiah 61, you get Jesus' mission statement. This is why he is here. And as you read Isaiah 61, you can't help but say, why would I not want to follow this man? Why would I not want to agree with the teachings of Jesus? Look here at Isaiah 61. Verse 1, now the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. See, there's that word. What has he anointed him to do? To preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Why would you not want that? See, sometimes as a believer... I'm not ashamed of Jesus, not in any way whatsoever. Sometimes I'm ashamed of what people in the name of Jesus do. But if somebody really wants to know what my Savior and my Messiah is like, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. How would I not want to love and serve someone who wants to reach and bring good tidings to the poor? To heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison, those people that are captivated by sin and set free. Why would I not want to serve that? Because look at what he wants to do. He wants to comfort all who mourn. He wants to trade your mourning for beauty. He wants to trade your mourning for joy. He wants to trade your heaviness for praise. How is that not a good deal? Lord, I come to you in heaviness and mourning and sadness, and you give me beauty and joy? This is the good news of the gospel. And this is the good news that we need to present to a dying world is that they are held captive by sin and they're bound in prison. But we want to tell you how you can be set free. And Jesus loved you so much he came down and was baptized to identify with you because he just didn't want to be the God from a distance. He wanted to have a personal relationship with you. See, we throw around that phrase a lot, don't we? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you realize what that means? It means a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know him personally. He knows you personally. There's a closeness. There's a oneness. And when you see that closeness and that oneness, you say, that's what I want. We're not just strangers. I would hope that if you would see me and my wife, you would say, they know each other. They just haven't kidnapped a bunch of kids and they're taking around with them, but they know each other. I so bad when Renee was doing announcements, when he called up Shannon, I wanted to yell from the back of the church, they're married. Because he's like, I'm going to call up Shannon. Shannon comes up. Thank you, Renee. She takes the mic. It's like, dude, I was at your wedding. I, I, I know you're married. You have three kids. There's that personal relationship. And that's what Christ wants to have with you. So he says, I'm going to go ahead and get baptized to fulfill all righteousness because I am the priest. I'm 30 years old. I'm anointed and I'm going into ministry. And I also love you so much that I want to go through everything you go through. So that way when you're going through a tough time, I can sympathize with you in your weakness. He wants that. Now, what does it mean for us? Well, let's go one more passage on this. Can you go to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4. I remember as a very young believer, somebody telling me one time, let the Bible be its own commentary. And I think that's a great point. Look here in Luke chapter 4. 
verse 16, when Jesus is talking about his ministry. Luke 4, verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Luke four seventeen. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, we just read this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, right there it is. That's the mission statement of Jesus. Rich was just teaching in Mark yesterday, and Mark, and that was what we talked about. Jesus' mission, this is what he's here to do. You know, when we've been doing, started this 40 days of just kind of praying and fasting to see what God has called us as individuals, as a church, you know, I said, pick whatever one of those topics you want to start with. I started with heart for the lost because do I really care that people are dying and going to hell? I mean, do I really care? Because if I don't really care that there's a dying world going to hell, then what difference does it make of any of the other stuff? When you look at Jesus, and, and I was just thinking of this yesterday as Rich was reading through Mark, there was that phrase, he was moved with compassion. And how many times the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion for people. You know, When I walk through a restaurant or a store, am I moved with compassion? Because I see these people and I'm wondering, where do you stand for all of eternity? Where do you stand? Because, and Lord, if you're going to open a door right now, I'm willing. I'm ready. If he opens a door, then I'll take it. If he doesn't open a door, then it's just my time to pray. But are we moved with compassion for people? And you may be sitting here saying, okay, I, I want to be moved with compassion. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Let me just throw this at you here real quick. We're hoping sometime here in the end of January is we're going to have like a little one day, a thing on a Saturday of uh, somebody's going to come down and kind of share up just about how to share your faith and how to spread the gospel, et cetera, to really say, okay, what does this look like? and a real-life scenario of sharing Christ. I mean, we talk about letting the Spirit lead. We talk about proclaiming Jesus. What does that look like? Keep that open. We're finalizing the dates and times, and we'll hopefully have the information for you next week because we really want to say it's all about proclaiming Christ. So Jesus gets baptized to identify with us. To It's a great start to his ministry. He is anointed here through the Spirit, and now he goes forward in it. Now, what does this mean for us? What does water baptism mean for us then? We already said it's not salvation. What does it mean? Well, for us, it's also a symbolism of a lot of different things. It's about us identifying with Christ. Identifying with what Christ has done for us. You know, when we do baptisms, we usually talk about these different things, about how when you go into the water, the water represents a washing and a newness of life. You're going in as this, you know, dirty, sinful person, a picture of the symbolism. And as you go into the water, you're going into being cleansed. And as you come out of the water, you're being raised. As you went into your death and you're being raised again. And then also, Rich always says this, you come out looking like a drowned rat, which teaches you humbleness. I mean, think about this. You're getting baptized in front of a whole bunch of people. Nobody ever looks attractive coming out of the water, right? You're dripping hairs in your face. You know what I mean. It teaches the humbleness right from the beginning. But what beautiful picture of going into the water, being washed, being cleansed, coming out of the water, raised again. So questions start coming up of, okay, I was baptized as a baby. Should I be baptized as an adult? I was baptized years ago. I fell away from the faith. Should I be baptized again? If you have any questions about this, come and talk to me. 
We'd love to try to help answer that. We try to do two baptisms a year out here. We do one in the summer. We usually do it over at Bill and Shirley Jones' house, and it's a great time. There's a time of potluck and fellowship, worship outside. Everybody goes around the pond and get baptized. It's a wonderful time of celebration. Well, in the winter, go to Northwest Ohio, it doesn't work to go do it at Bill and Shirley Jones' house. They'd probably be willing, but it wouldn't be a lot of fun. So what we usually do in the winter is we go over to the filling home outside of Napoleon, which is really nice, like 90-degree water, 90-degree, it is really nice. problem is it's just a small area that we can't get a lot of people. We can't invite the church. We can't have that just agape feast of love afterwards, of celebrating. So it's fun, but it's different. So we were talking about this, and this happened back in April. And I was over at uh, Richard and Betsy's house, and Betsy said, Jamie, you know what we need to do? She goes, we need to have a baptism out at the church. That's great, but we don't have any facilities to do that. So... Richard and Betsy have been talking. I don't know what's been going on in Bet's world, but they've come up with an idea, which could be scary, but I think this is what we're going to do. Right, Rich? In February, we're hoping? Yes. Yes. A cattle water trough. Like eight foot long. The cattle are lowing. The cattle are lowing, yes. (laughs) This is why you don't get the mic on Sunday. So, eight foot long, three foot wide, two foot deep. So that's it. We're just going to set this puppy up in the back, and we're going to have a baptism in February out here at church. So if you feel led to get involved with this, we're going to do this on a Sunday morning. We want the body of Christ to get to behind this and be excited and celebrate with this. More details are coming, but that's coming up in February. Rich said he may even try to heat the water a little bit. So there you go. Because we want the people to celebrate with this and be involved with this and encourage. Because it's really interesting. After Jesus gets baptized, next week in Matthew 4, he is attacked and tempted by the enemy. And one of the things we always say at a baptism is this. When you make that public confession of Christ, the enemy is going to hit you with everything he can. The body of Christ needs to know this, support you, and encourage you. And we're really excited about this, of what this means and represents. So, baptism shows this identification with Christ. Can you go with me to Romans 6 and what he has done for us on the cross? Romans 6. By getting baptized, I'm publicly proclaiming I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It doesn't save me. I've already been saved. But it publicly shows the world, this is what I want to do. We're in the middle of bowl season Playoffs are starting next week for the NFL. You're going to see people wearing jerseys and uniforms. They're going to have flags outside of their house of the team they support. What are they doing? They're publicly showing this is the team I'm going to represent and be identified with. They, they put bumper stickers on their car. I just saw one the other day that's something like, if you cut me, I bleed scarlet and gray or something. If you really do, that's a dangerous situation. I just want to let you know. So you probably need to have somebody look at that. But the point is... We identify, we publicly identify. Baptism is, I want to publicly identify with what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I want the whole world to know. One of my favorite baptisms we ever did, we used to be able to do them over at the YMCA in Ottawa, then it didn't work out there to do it anymore. We had a guy that wanted to get baptized. So Rich and I went over, you know, we get in the water and we get ready to baptize. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we baptize. And it was a fascinating, everybody stopped swimming, they stopped diving, they stopped everything, and they just stared. It was a public baptism, representing Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful picture that was. And what a beautiful picture to come before the body of Christ in February and say, I want to publicly identify with Christ. And this is what we see here in Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 3. 
Do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We identify with him in his death. We identify with Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. Symbolism, going into the water. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, symbolism, coming out of the water, by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. We've been washed, we've been cleansed through Christ. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So that's that symbolism that we're identifying with. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. That's that picture, that identifying with Christ, with his death and with his resurrection, and that's the picture of baptism there. What are we supposed to do with this information? We get it, we know it. Well, verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word reckon is very interesting. It actually, in the original Greek, is an accounting term. What Paul is trying to say is, guys, add up the numbers here. This just makes sense. Look at the books. This makes sense. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. So the way we can identify to that is we die to ourselves and then we rise in him. Reckon this, guys. Run the numbers. This just makes sense. Do you know how hard it is to die to yourself? Dawn and I were talking at home this week and I just made this comment to her. I just wish I could die to myself. I just want to die to that, that greed and to that lust and to that jealousy. And it's just, I'm so tired of James. And, you know, it talks about what we talked about last week with John the Baptist, where John said, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. Boy, I just wish I could disappear and just let it be Christ. Christ in my marriage, Christ in my witness, Christ in my life. The problem is there's this whole sinful James that is just constantly rearing up. And what Paul is trying to tell me here in Romans 6 is, James, it's dead. Reckon it. Consider that. Run the numbers. You're dead. That flesh is dead. Okay, I know that. What do I do with it? Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. I can make a choice. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin should not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Every action I do is either going to take me deeper in my walk with Christ as members of righteousness, or it's going to take me deeper into the flesh as members of unrighteousness. But the battle's already been won in Christ. As we've said out here many times before, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, to be continued. It's over. It's done. So now Paul tells me, James, run the numbers. Reckon yourself dead. It's there. Identify with Christ through baptism. Let it be that symbolism that shows you are there. You are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, and you want the world to know that. And as you have been identified with Christ, you can also now live that way. Sin does not have to reign in your mortal body. What a beautiful picture of freedom that is. Beautiful picture of freedom. I am set free from sin. And baptism is a symbolic act that shows that. And that's the beauty of it. So what does this all look like, though? Well, let's make the application now. Can you go to Acts 8? We've talked about how baptism is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. 
We talked about how Jesus went through baptism to identify with us. He's also our high priest, so therefore this is the public beginning of his ministry at age 30. You guys are going to Acts 8. It fulfills those righteousness. Christ had an anointing to come, and that was his mission statement that we read in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. For us, it's a symbolic identifying with Christ, and that's what we want to go through with it too. But now that we have this information, what does this look like practically? Well, I think Acts 8 is a great little chapter to show us the practical putting this all together. Now, in Acts 8, Philip takes center stage. And it's really kind of a shame that Philip doesn't get more attention in the Bible. When you think of the book of Acts, you generally think of Peter taking the first half of the book and Paul taking the second half of the book. Well, smack dab right here in chapter 8, Philip takes center stage for one chapter. And if you've never studied out Philip, what a wonderful man of God he is. So Philip takes center stage. What happens? Verse 5, Acts 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Philip has this mega ministry going on in Samaria. What an amazing ministry this is. And what is the result of this ministry? Verse 8, joy. I'm telling you right now, joy is always the result of being in God's will and plan for your life. If you do not have joy, you have to stop and say, am I where God wants me to be? Because why do they have joy? Because they're doing the things that the Lord has called them to do. And in my own personal life, if I'm not walking in a lot of joy, I usually need to step back and say, Lord, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing, or what am I not doing that I should be doing? Because I'm not walking in the joy of the Lord. And what does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So therefore, if I don't have the joy of the Lord, guess what? I don't have a lot of strength in my life, and my life just kind of starts to falter. We've said out here many times before, you don't let work control your life, you don't let your calendar control your life, you don't let any of that. This morning before I came to church, I was just looking at the upcoming week, there's something going all the time. We've got appointments here. We've got appointments there. The next couple of weeks are really busy. You have that brief moment of just, oh, man. Then I thought, okay, Jesus could return. So let's not worry about it, right? Because it's bigger than the calendar. It is. Because joy comes from being where the Lord has called you. Now, if you're saying, well, how do I know where the Lord has called me? Hey, we're going to take the next 40 days and seek the Lord on that as individuals and as a church. And one of the passages or one of the weeks you're going to pray over is knowing your calling in the Lord. And as you read those scriptures, I pray the Lord really opens up your heart and mind to say, this is what I've called you to do. So Philip has this amazing ministry going on. Jump ahead here in Acts chapter 8. And let's go ahead and go to um, verse 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So he's this roving ministry, this roving missionary. This amazing ministry is going on at this time. So what does God do when Philip hits the high point of his ministry? Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road to which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So in the middle of this amazing, fruitful, mega ministry, God says, Philip, I want you alone in the wilderness. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What was one of the first points we talked about when it comes to baptism in our walk with Christ? Humbleness. Being humble. Philip didn't say, Lord, you know, we're really doing a good thing here at the Samaritans. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, Lord, the lame are walking, demons are being cast out, people are getting saved. I really think you want me here. 
I've told you the story many times before. I had a friend years ago, got saved, was really on fire for the Lord, but he had to learn that he wasn't needed. He kept on saying, I wonder where God needs me. You're not needed. God wants you. He wants to work with you and serve with you, but you're not needed. Everybody is replaceable through the Holy Spirit. So Philip goes to the desert. Verse 27, these five words are vital. So he arose and went. Obedience. There has to be an obedience and a humbleness to really being used by the Lord. We've already talked about the obedience and the humbleness of Christ. You know, Philippians makes it clear that he let go of the glories of heaven to come down here as a man. He was humble to do that. He identified with us in baptism, a humbleness to do that. So often when we look at ministry, we look at ministry and we base it all on numbers and, and church size, etc. We mentioned last week, we should really be focusing on sending capacity, not seating capacity. It's more about going out there and being a witness for the Lord. So Philip right here, what a great example. He goes to the desert. There's nothing, nothing. He arose and he went. But as he got to the desert... Now we start to see the next step. Verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her, all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Next step. We have humbleness. We have obedience. Now it's about being spirit-led. Verse 29. The spirit said, Go near and overtake this chariot. That's being spirit-led. See, a lot of times when I look at our life and what we do, it's not spirit-led. It's, it's James-led. This is what I want to do. This is what sounds good. This is what feels good. When really part of dying to yourself is realizing, I don't lead my own life. See, as Jesus said in Isaiah 61, he needed to have, I shouldn't say he needed, he had that anointing of what his mission was. We as believers need the same anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives to know what we're called to do. And we, and we can't do it on our own. We can't. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying and he asked the disciples to pray with him and they all fell asleep. And he came to him and said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That phrase, the flesh is weak, literally means the flesh has no strength. Literally has no strength. See, in my spirit, there's so much I want to do. I mean, in my spirit, I want to be in the word all day. In my spirit, I want to be praying all the time. In my spirit, I want to be out there just sharing the gospel with everybody but my flesh is weak. You know, I was, I was at home the other day, and I was getting ready to... I saw my Bible, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to spend some time here with the Word and the Lord. So I go to reach for my Bible, but somebody left the TV remote right by the Bible. And you have that brief moment of, which one do you go for, you know? The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I watched Antiques Roadshow. But the point is, the Spirit was willing. I know what my spirit wants to do. I want to proclaim Jesus. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I want to raise my kids in a godly home. I want to go out there and shine for the Lord. I know that's what I want to do. But the flesh goes back to that point earlier. There's a whole lot of James left that needs to die. When I look at Philip, I see a man that goes to the desert and just lets the spirit lead. And the spirit can still lead us today too. Real quick, you don't need to turn there. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I set you. The Holy Spirit will lead you and teach you and guide you into all truth. John fifteen twenty six. The Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. 
The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to testify of Jesus. Then in John 16, verse 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit's there to lead me, guide me, teach me, point me towards Jesus, point others towards Jesus, so God gets the glory. Let God get the glory. Created for His glory, for His purpose there. So, Philip has this. He's letting the Spirit lead. Verse 29, go near and overtake this chariot, back in Acts 8. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Now, you have to understand a little bit of uh, the dynamics of 2,000 years ago. This is not the chariots that you see in Ben-Hur, where they're going in circles really, really fast. Okay? This is a very slow, methodical process to travel someplace. And it was not uncommon to read out loud. So it's not like Philip is running at 20 mile an hour and catching up to a chariot and hitching on in some type of action movie. He could hear him reading. He could see that. He goes up through the Spirit and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? That takes a lot of guts. Verse 31, he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he would declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask, of whom does this prophet say of this, of himself or of some other man? So Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. We have humbleness. We have obedience. We have being spirit led. Now verse 35 Use Scripture. When you really want to make a difference, use Scripture. God's Word doesn't return void. Hebrews 4.12 is that God's Word cuts to the heart. See, we, we think our words can be clever and funny and I can sway somebody with my speech. No. God's Word is what's going to cut to the heart. Use Scripture. And what do you do when you use Scripture? Verse 35, you just preach Jesus. I mean, that's how simple this is. Use Scripture, preach Jesus. That's what's going to make an impact in people. Use Scripture, preach Jesus. Put this all together. Be humble. Be Spirit-led. Be obedient. Use Scripture, preach Jesus. Guess what happens? Verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, here's our word again, rejoicing. You will always be rejoicing when you're doing the things the Lord has called you to do. There will be joy in your life. If there's not a lot of joy in your life right now, I just simply ask you not to attack, not to pick. Are you doing what the Lord has asked you to do? Are you obedient to the calling He's given you? And if you don't know what that calling is, I encourage you again, grab one of those sheets and start praying those verses. Because then you'll have joy. Because joy is based on Jesus, not on the circumstances that we're going through. So, Philip shows me the humbleness, the obedience, the Spirit-led, Scripture, Jesus, and the response is rejoicing. There's no greater thrill than impacting somebody for eternity through the Lord. I'm telling you right now, it's exciting. When you see somebody get it, it is exciting to see what God has in store for that. And it's exciting to see what he does. And what I really want for us as individuals and as a body of Christ is I want us to seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of all the rest of the details if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do we have a heart for the lost, a heart for prayer, a heart for his word, a heart for service? Do we have a heart to know his calling in our life and be obedient to it? I hope and pray the Lord's moving in your life. And if the idea of getting baptized is something that's where the Lord stirs your heart on this, come talk to me about it. Talk to Rich. Talk to Renee. We're shooting for a date in February. We're getting the details around. If you have a heart for seeing souls get saved, hopefully next week we get that finalized on that uh, event we're going to do on Saturday. I think it's at the end of the month here. It's an opportunity to say, Lord, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we really want to move forward in that. Seek you. I just keep thinking, Lord, there's more. There's more on what you want us to do. And I'm excited to see what that more is. And that's the goal. That's the vision. And I want to identify with Christ because he's my merciful high priest who identified with me. And I want to go to let everybody know the glad tidings of which he has given us. And I want to go do exactly what he said to do. And what a blessing that is. Marv, we can come forward here for the final song. As we're getting ready, I just want to share with you a story real quick.